Father, thank you again for your, your grace and your goodness. We lift up those who aren't feeling well and uh, ask that you would just uh, touch their bodies and, and help them to, to heal. And we thank you again for uh, just always being faithful. And, and Lord, may we just stop for a moment and realize how faithful you are. And Lord, we thank you for that. Just give us uh, encouragement as we read your word and as we look at the life that you led for us and we thank you that you give us your spirit that we can live that life as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continu con con ugh, exactly continuing to look at how... Um, Laura wasn't coming today, so I slept in a little longer. So, you know, give me... I'm usually not totally awake for another hour. So anyway, <laughs> my morning was a little truncated. Okay, so First Thessalonians 5.5, 5, we're looking at how light in the life of the believer, how it applies to us. So somebody read 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, please. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not the night or the fall or the darkness. How does that impact, though, the way we think about who we are? Maybe you don't, I mean, with me... I don't think so much anymore about the bad stuff. I just basically think you're going to be okay. Yeah, so there's a hope that's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. I wish I thought the hope that was a lot better than what we're talking today. No, no. You, know, <laughs> you said wonderfully, Connie. Hello. Yeah, so I mean, I think... Was feeling forgiven? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a different, right? I mean, there's... There's life, there's hope, there's because of the forgiveness of sin, um, there's contrast. Um, I think there's a dividing line too. Right? We look at we're not children of the dark anymore. We're children of the light. So what does that mean, right? We're not children of the dark. <laughs> so so that does impact, I think, the way we move and function and um, and view things. And I think some of us still struggle with that. Um, well, some of us, we all still uh, easy to get grumpy, easy to get negative, easy to get complaining, easy to do some of the things that, that we used to do maybe before Christ. Um, but yet, because of God's faithfulness, he doesn't leave us in that state, right? He says, okay, enough. And then we move forward. How about First Peter 2.9? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Okay. What are some things for us that we that we see in that uh, who again, who we are as believers, how that applies to our lives? Okay. <laughs> sure. Well, I think that we've been chosen. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. That says something to us. Mm. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Well, I mean, if you're just God wants you, He's given you the invitation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And He's called you. He called you by name. That's <laughs> He somehow got through a half a cup without you. I don't know. 
How about 1 John 1, 7? <laughs> 1 John 1, 7. Because so far Mike's winning the sword yeah, drill. <laughs> but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, so we are in the light. We're walking in the light. What does that mean for us as believers that we have what with one another? Right. I mean, we just, it's, it's a special thing to hang out with other believers, you know? I mean, I've been in church my whole life, and I still want to go to church. Not that, not that it's always perfect in the house of God. <laughs> yes, Connie? Mm-hmm. When you talk about fellowship, it really struck me this week. I was seeing one of my friends, and I always knew that she was, I don't know if you call it agnostic mm-hmm. or an atheist, but it never really, I didn't it didn't hit me until this week mm. about how easy it is when I meet with Meg and, and you know the people I know here and then meet with her. It was different. It was different. It was different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, she probably sees that too. Sorry, Meg. Sure, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, well, we've talked about how you know when you're in with a group of believers, you can just be yourself. You don't have to be on guard. Sometimes when you're with friends who you know are antagonistic or at least completely neutral and don't want to hear about it, uh, you know, you kind of have to, to be a little bit on guard of yeah. what you say, how you say. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's joy involved, too. Mm-hmm. Fellowship, joy. Yeah. yeah. It's just different, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? It's different than your football buddies or, you know, rooting for a team or something. It's just different uh, because it's a long-lasting fellowship that we center around. We center around the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven us and cleansed us of all of our sins. That's different than whether or not your team makes the playoffs, which mine didn't, by the way. But anyway, but... Um, <laughs> they played a good game, though. <laughs> well, the Raiders, they shouldn't have even gotten this far this year. What a crazy year for them. A lot of drama outside the... The the, day, the the game days, you know, but uh, yeah. The Raiders. Yeah, they anyway. I thought I thought maybe there was a chance. You have to work on you. <laughs> Sorry. No work in my. No, you know when you're born in the Bay Area, you kind of pick a side. Yeah. <laughs> Raiders or Niners. Huh? And, Actually, I kind of feel like the city they're in is way more appropriate. So anyway, okay. Um, What's this got to do with the light? <laughs> that, that I need to reject the darkness of the Raiders and move Football. to the light. You're the right. light, not of Green Bay, but the light. No, anyway. Football buddies just started out. I do find it easier to talk to people, so, even though they don't believe. Because I feel oh, gotcha. like I'm so blessed to have that. Mm-hmm. And you find, I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I find most people are, I know they're not going to, like, life-changing moment, but, but they're going to they're gonna listen, and, and they're, they're going to be respectful for the most part. And so you know, wow, God's planting seeds through that, which is pretty exciting. Well, I have one friend who's gone through some hard times right now, and her life is complete chaos. And I grew up in complete chaos. Mm. And I'm like, she's out of space. 
Wonderful. Well, we'll pray for your friend. Let's wrap it up. Revelation 21, 23, and 24. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So this is for us, right? What we have to look forward to. We have glimpses of it. We have glimpses of the light. The light dwells within us. We have these moments. But all of us, I think, would say, man, it'd be great when I didn't have to deal with all the other stuff. And the light would shine. But again, the source of our light is not... Uh, the sun in the sky, the source of our light is the Lamb himself, uh, Jesus Christ. And I think that that is uh, something for us to dwell upon a little bit. Any other comments on that? Well, this is, I mean, to me, the, the, these last chapters of Revelation are the culmination of our hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what we hope for. Mm-hmm. Beyond this life. So. Yeah, and to know that God wins. <laughs> we're on the winning side, which is really nice to know. Um, not nice for those who aren't on the winning side that we love, but that's a whole different conversation that we trust in the faithfulness of God. Who are the kings of the earth that will be splendor? Well, you know, there's so much debate on what that means, So, uh, but I think what they're saying is that every knee will recognize, everyone will recognize, that's the idea that governments, everyone will recognize that he is the authority over all. That's, that's probably the best way to take it than to try to say, well, this is that king and this is that king because that gets all wonky. Instead of saying, no, the earth will bow to, to the Lord. And that's pretty easy for the book of Revelation. The rest of the book is a lot harder than that. Well, and there's been a lot of weird doctrines from out, come out of Revelation because people have tried to say, well, this has to be this. Mm. God says, just read it and be blessed. That's pretty much what he says. <laughs> and so that's not, uh, yeah, because there's some imagery that, you know, it's one of those things. So when Paul spent time with Jesus, he talked about how he had been caught up into heaven and spent time with Jesus. Of course, he says it's somebody I knew, but you knew he was talking about himself. And he said to write those things would be unlawful. And I think what he meant is I can't describe in, in human language what I experienced. And so you see these moments, um, like the Apostle John writing uh, the book of Revelation, you see Ezekiel, and you see some of these visions that people are given, and they're trying to write in human language something that is beyond description in, in mere words. And so sometimes I think that makes us go, uh, well, boy, that seems weird, or, well, it has to be like this, and instead of going, okay, there are some things that mere words can't describe. I mean, I think of sometimes I see sunrises and sunsets and, and sometimes the clouds on the mountains over here. And it's like, I, they're words, I mean, beautiful, majestic, still pales in comparison to just the, the, the awe that is wonderful that God gives us to see in his creation. So I think sometimes that's the challenge that people have had in Revelation is we're trying to, to write in human terms heavenly activity. Um, you know, and we get glimpses that work for us in heaven, you know, but as far as the, the 
full scope of it, you know, in our finite minds. Connie. Am I the only one in the world that thinks Revelation is scary? Some of the figures, the way they describe the figures, reminds me of mythology, mm -hmm. or Dante's Inferno, sure. and it's just scary to me. I, you know, if I saw a figure with all those eyes and hands, it scared me to death. No, no, I, I, you are not the only one. In fact, that's been that's driven a lot of interesting doctrines over the years, because of those imagery. How do we deal with that? Um, and so how does end times look? What do the judgments, uh, what does the wrath of God look like upon mankind? Uh, and so that's where you get a lot of these um, weird things. And scary, I mean, fearful, I, I would go with that. Uh, so there's a lot of people that, that, that wrestle with that. And here's the interesting thing is um, a lot of those ideas, you know, are born out of weird imagery in the Bible that you're talking about. You know, we have these, there's been a mysticism in the world since the dawn of time. There's been this knowledge that people have of there's a, there's a life outside of this life. And so all kinds of fun imaginations and stuff have, have come up. And so when we see something like this in Revelation, um, yeah, I guess it's scary for those of us who don't know Christ. I mean, you, you know, I get what you're saying, um, and, and I think that we can get, oh man, this is this is pretty dreadful. Uh, I mean, just think of some of the weird creatures that they're describing in there. Um, but go, okay, wait a second. Uh, I don't have to suffer fear in, in those things. I mean, but it takes some time to get there, right? To go, ooh, these are scary things, and then moving on. So. No, you're not. You're definitely not the only one. Just well, so you know. You know, it seems like what, what you first of all hear about heaven is peaceful, it's wonderful, it's nice, and then you read Revelations and you're thinking, hmm. Well, and that's why you know Harold's in the last couple chapters. That's that's the the end of all things. To get there, there's trial and tribulation. But I mean, you stuff. know, if you look. The Lamb of God is right there, yeah. pretty much through the whole thing. Yep. I mean, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, yeah. which is Jesus. Yep. And it's really, actually, it's, it's, if you look at overall, it's a victory. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a book of victory. For sure. Yeah, and a lot of people say, you know, uh, the, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate revelation of, like you said, the Lamb. Here he is. He is one. He is has done it all. But yeah, there's some stuff going to get there that can be a little, ooh, let's keep going, keep reading. No, right? <laughs> so now we jump back into Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. So the parable of the growing seed. Mm -hmm. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Okay. What do you think the main idea of this parable is? Okay. And then we grow and pray. 
כן. So that's some of that. That is probably the best way to look at it. That we are the seed. Some people also look at those of us who now carry the word of Christ. We're scattering seed. We don't know how the Holy Spirit works in the life of people, and so that doesn't. You know, we we scatter the seed, trusting that God's going to do what He's going to do, um, because we don't know. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Farmers do know now how that works, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we know we scatter seed, and some of them take, some of them don't. We know this, the best conditions for that. Um, but the reality is that even when a farmer scatters seed, his hope, even though he's done all things that he can do, there's still not the guarantee that the crop is going to be you know, plentiful every year. There's other factors that happen. But it didn't stop him from doing it. And so he waters it, waits, and hopes, right, that it comes up. And then he reaps the harvest of that which does. Delane, you were going to say something? Well, I sort of missed the, that first part of that reading. What was that? It said that this is the one that you just read. Oh, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. He yeah, sleeps and rises. Mean, yeah. What does, it, what does it mean by kingdom of God? I mean, it's not talking about heaven and eternity. Yeah, I think he's talking about God's economy. What does that look like? You know, so we, we technically have a piece of the kingdom of God among believers on earth now. It's not fulfilled yet. But the, the parable is uh, about the seed and, get and it's falling on different... I assume that's what yeah, this isn't the parable about seed no, it's not all in different kinds of Correct. ground. This is it's just harvest. This, this is, this is this what is. happens when the seed is in the ground. All kinds of miraculous things happen right. at that point. Right. Yeah, I mean, Jesus came and said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, he says it's here. And so Jesus, being the king of the kingdom of heaven, is, is definitely among us. And so he's here. Obviously, the fulfillment of everything is not there yet. But he wants us to know that the God's word is going out. The seed is going out. He's planting seeds. We're the seed in this case, I would say. Um, and so some of us grow and some people don't grow. I mean, we don't know. But the reality is, is that the Lord is going to come for us, back to Revelation, at some day he's going to come and take us home, reap the harvest of the seed. But the seed goes forth. The seed is planted. And we... I would call this one the good soil compared to the rocky and the other soils. Yeah, yeah well, this one would be, be fair. Good soil. Yeah, that'd yeah be fair. I mean, yeah, you got to separate the parables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one does yeah. grow up and produce. So yes. It's in good soil. Okay. So let's look then at a couple different uh, New Testament passages, Philippians 1 6, and see how that helps us understand this, this parable a little bit more. Where's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 1 verse 6. And you're going to hear it and go, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How does that help us understand this parable a little bit? 
And so if we're the seed, right, planting us, we're assured that it's gonna, he's going to grow us, right? He began the good work. By the way, this is one of, I say this often, but one of my favorite verses, and I think it's another one. I know. But I encourage you to be really familiar with this one. This is a great hope for us. He who began the good work and us is faithful to complete it. Uh, because that's comfort when we blow it. <laughs> that's comfort when we think we... Yeah. 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 Several times. Yeah, right, no, yeah, because it's like, oh wait, he's doing the work. So that's when, we, when people um, argue about justification and sanctification. Well, how do you explain this verse? Oh, he's doing all the work. Oh, okay. Now, it does, again, doesn't mean that we don't, like we're going to look at life and obedience today, which can feel very works-oriented. Um, but, and even this, red, this the being challenge that we go has some practical tools, what we call spiritual disciplines, which depends on who you talk to. There's 12 to about 35 or 39, depending on, you know, that, that are part of, of the Christian life. But when those become our definition of what it means to be a Christian, that's where we run into some challenges. Here we see even those things, spiritual disciplines, prayer, you know, reading God's word, fill in the blank, you know, fellowshipping. Those things are... Um, things that God uses to complete that work in us. It's still him doing the work. So that's just great comfort to us. How about 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7? Even with some index, you get lost. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> What, what, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Okay, so again, in light of Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, how does that help us understand what's happening in uh, the parable. It's all God. Great. He's not going to stop working on me. <laughs> a work in progress. Yeah. And he's just not going to stop and say, well, she's a lost cause. He's not going to stop until it's time to take you home. Harvest you. That sounds weird, but anyway. So I read that next verse and I was like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> So again, what does Mark 4, I mean, we've kind of danced around a little bit. What does Mark 4.29 purely indicate? Clearly indicate, I should say. Yeah. Well, and this idea of being ripe is like at the right time. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, so you go, avocados infuriate me. But anyway, um, I love avocados. But it's hard to find them where you can use them 
right away. And then if you wait like three days later, they're not good anymore. So, um, but you know, what do you do? You sit there and you squeeze and you're, you're trying to find the ones that, that aren't mushy. And, you know, and, and then, uh, and then there's all these different ideas of how to pick out cantaloupe or pineapple. You know, some people are like, you got to pull the thing on the pineapple. There's like, you got to, you got to smell it, you know, <laughs> it's like, but people are looking for that right thing so that, it, so that they can enjoy it. And that's the same with Jesus. He's like, at the right time, when you're ripe, I'll take you. You know, I'll, I'll bring you home. Uh, we don't know when we're ripe. I mean, we talk about how, being the ripe old age of something, but, but we don't know. God knows at, that, at the right time. So, Mark 4, 30 through 34. Mark 4 what? 30 through 34. And he said, uh, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the words to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. They still struggle. Okay. Okay, so the, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed, just so you know, but it is very tiny, and it would have been something they used um, and understood in that time. Why does Jesus compare the kingdom of God to the mustard seed and the tree that is produced from the seed? Whichever one gives the biggest tree. Yeah, I mean, they can grow wild and big, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and so I think that there's two things we can look at it is, first of all, a lot of times I feel that we can get overwhelmed and feel like the kingdom of God is, is small or we're all alone. Um, and, and God wants us to know, no, small faith produces big things. The kingdom of God seems small at times. But the reality is, it's growing into something very, very large. And, um, and so we can hold on to that, even in our faith, right? Faith like a mustard seed, we're told, can move mountains. I don't know why I'd want a mountain moved, but anyway. Um, but, but faith like a mustard seed. And so he's talking about just the smallest thing can produce big results. And that's how the kingdom of God is. And so a lot of times we go, well, I don't have the faith of that person or the faith like that person. Um, it doesn't matter. It, the, the smallest amount of faith will produce what God wants us to. So there's, two, there's a duality here. There's the, the actual kingdom of God is much greater than we see, and ourselves, our faith is much greater than we see. So again, what do the birds of the air represent here? 
Okay. Yeah. I was thinking people learning about Jesus. Okay. Well, they're, they're flocking to the tree, so mm-hmm. people come into the kingdom. Yep. Coming into the word. Yep. The shade, though. Why in the shade? <laughs> the protection of the umbrella of the kingdom, right? Um, yeah. And they would have understood birds of the air was not a specific bird. It was all birds of the air, which would have given indication and foresight to the fact that all people are welcome into the kingdom of God. Because if it would have been just Jews only, that would have been specific to one type of species. And so that's what a lot of scholars believe. And the birds here is every type of bird is available to rest um, in the tree of the kingdom of God. It's available for everyone. So, go ahead. How about the birds representing uh, new believers? That's your... Branching out sure. the seed, and you're bringing in. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things that that could yep. represent. Yep, I think that's all valid. No one said anything outside of school yet, so that's but good. What Jesus uh, meant, you know, it's hard to be in somebody else's mind, but <laughs> I guess that's what we're guessing right here. Yeah, I mean, the whole parable thing, right? <laughs> Well, some of it's, yeah, I mean, cultural context. And even, even you know what he says at the end, he only spoke in parables, but only the disciples were told what it really meant. <laughs> and why do you think that was? I think twofold. I think, first of all, um, he wanted to give common examples for the common people to ponder and to grasp. Uh, I think, second of all, if he would have said things directly, I think it would have accelerated his amount of imprisonment because it would have been directly against the Pharisees. It would have been, so much of it would have been um, cause for them to arrest him sooner rather than later. I mean, he said things. Uh, and so I think that, that um, and some of it is for us, I mean, we need to understand life examples. Uh, and so these are just examples for us that we can hold on to a little bit, though they're, some of them culturally or we, we don't know exactly um, we can still go, wait, there's a small seed and it grows into something big and he's talking about the kingdom of God. So even in just that rudimentary, we go, kingdom of God starts small and grows big, whether it's in the person or whether it's in the, you know, he can even talk about Jesus being the seed that was put into the ground and as, as in his death and then his resurrection being the, the tree that comes out um, and, and grows and, and brings everybody in. We could look at it that way too. So I think he just gives these examples that paint pictures. It's easier for us to remember if he were to say, hey, guess what? The kingdom of God's going to grow. Okay, move on. I, I mean, it, you know, so I think it, that, you know, God's, God wants us to get it a little bit differently. How about Ezekiel 17.23? Way back. Old Testament. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Okay. How does that give some light on what Jesus is saying? The same as the first one, isn't it? That we just discussed. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we already said this, even though we didn't realize we were quoting scripture. It's cedar, not mustard. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Right. A little bigger. Maybe it's a bigger tree than a mustard tree. Right. Okay. So good biblical scholars at the time would have known that Jesus was thinking about this and that and this idea of every kind of bird. Again, that's why they would have gone, okay, wait a second, the kingdom of God's four. Because now he's saying the kingdom of God is like this. And he's referencing Ezekiel. Yeah. So that's pretty, you know, that helps us understand it, right? To go, okay, what do you mean the birds of the air? Oh, well, let's look at Ezekiel. Well, that's probably what he meant. So do you think Ezekiel was thinking about Gentiles at the time? Um, you know, that, that's a... Huh. It's difficult when you talk about a prophet of God who what 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 level of of understand well but what's level of understanding did they have versus what level of I'm just saying what God says right God's telling me and I'm saying it I mean I don't know how much understanding that they would have I mean so you look at Isaiah who talks about you um, Jesus being born unto us a child is given a son you know or a, a born a son is given and is just is he thinking that's going to be Jesus someday? Or I mean, he's definitely thinking it's the Messiah. Um, but, you, you know, uh, obviously the way the Messiah came was different to the Jewish mind to some degree, unless they studied better than they would have. But, you know. Yeah, so it's tough. What, what is the prophet? Does the prophet really understanding everything? Are they saying this is what God says? Take it as you will. I, you know, there's probably a combination of both with some of it, I would think. So now we're going to answer this, even though we already asked it. Why does Jesus speak in parables? Any other ideas? Can make us ponder. Okay. Make it simple for us. Make it simple. Okay. Well, and they also paint very vivid word pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some commonality. Mm -hmm. Here? Yeah, I mean, they were generally spoken in words that were, you know, that the people could relate to mm -hmm. at that time. Right. You know, experiences that they might have, sowing seed or um, laboring in the vineyard, etc. You know, um, yeah. But then when it came to interpreting them, they probably were just scratching their heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and I think that, that, again, that's kind of, you know, what, what does a good teacher do? The teacher explains something at the level of the hearer, right? Tries to figure out what can you... And so when Jesus comes, he's not like the Pharisees and speaking in great big ideas that people can't understand, that they feel the, the, the great weight under. And, what, and if you think of what was some of the, the movement of Luther for the Reformation was we have to get God's word into, into German, into the people's hands. We have to give them tools where they can actually access what God wants to do. And I think that's the heart of Jesus. How do I teach in a way that people understand? We talked about Revelation. There are some pictures there that is... We just go, I don't know what's going on. Uh, Ezekiel's another one. I have no clue what's going on. But 
Jesus is like, I want you to understand some basic principles of how the kingdom of God works and how life in Christ works. So I'm going to teach at this level that you guys can understand. And still we don't understand, right? That's our problem. But 1 Corinthians 2.14 gives us some insight as to how we can understand. Oops. So when somebody gets there, read it loud. Verse 14, yes. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. So, what's the, the inference that this, that, that passage tells us? So spiritual things can't be discerned by the natural man. So what does that tell us? How can they be discerned? It's all like the spirit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So those of us who have received the forgiveness of sins, who have believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, and especially been baptized, right? We know even before then that we are given the very spirit of God. But we're assured it in baptism. It's, it's proclaimed to us in baptism. So we, we can go, okay, I know that I have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is that which teaches us all things. And so we don't have to sit there and go, I can't figure it out. I don't know how to figure it out. Well, you know what? There are things that, that God wants to teach you. And so we trust the Holy Spirit for that work. Philippians 1.6, we read it on the other page. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So he is teaching you, and he is making you ripe for harvests. And so when we look at that, we go, okay, um, there are some things that if I try to figure out on my own, I will never be able to understand them. And I find myself often beating my head against the wall and going, hmm. And the Lord's like, if you need to know what that means, just relax. I'll let you know. But you don't need to know. Um, and there's a lot of things that I, that I try to figure out and try to know. Um, and I have to rest with, wait a second, uh, God is the one who's authoring my faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who completes our faith. Um, and so we can rest knowing, okay, the secret things belong to the Lord, but that's what he has revealed to me are those that I'm responsible for. And we are growing in Christ day by day, moment by moment verse by verse. A little bit here, a little bit there, we're told. It's, it's, um, it's our, I say, uh, rebellious, oh, I don't want to call it rebellious. It's our selfishness. I don't want to step on toes, but I'm stepping on my own. That we want to understand everything and we want to understand it now. It's like, I mean, I, don't, I try not to go to fast food restaurants too often, but when I do, I expect it fast. Right? Right? And I don't want to go park somewhere else and then wait 20 minutes and go, why are these other cars going past me? I mean... Because you're going more. No, because I ordered chicken. I, or, I ordered chicken. That's the problem. So anyway... no stuff that's got to be made fresher. Right. Just can pull a patty out of the vat and stick it in it. Not under the... Yeah, and so... And so 
you know, but that's our, that's our mentality, right? I want it and I want it now. We have made it so that we don't have to wait anymore for anything. Yeah. I, uh, I, I assume we're close to being done, but I would just one comment about us studying the Bible like this. Uh, why questions are impossible to answer? Unless you're the person that decided to do something, in this case Christ, and give him this, these parables. Mm-hmm. Why did he do that? Well, we can speculate sure. that it was for the common people. We can speculate that it had this message. But that message can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Just like we did with that seed business. Right, right. And or the yeah, the tree. And and uh, now I think we should be looking I, this is my opinion. We should be looking at these things as how does that message affect us mm-hmm. as, a, as Christians mm-hmm. rather than rather than why did he do that how does that message affect us as Christians because it's impossible that I can ask why does that seed grow like that well I don't know why mm-hmm. like there's only one one answer to that because that's the way God made it yeah I mean but we can say why did Jesus go to the cross and we can answer that well, we've been told that. Well, the Bible explicitly tells yeah. us why. Yeah. We've been told that. Yeah. That's that. But who told us that? Uh, supposedly, the writers of the of the Bible mm-hmm. were given those messages. Sure. From yeah. higher, from yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, but when we try to speculate, we're speculating on even that these simple things that we think are pretty clear. There's speculation there when we have a why question. But if we look at it as how does that mm-hmm. message relate to us as a group, as a group of Christians or as individuals or whatever, that's a very different thing. Sure. We, we can evaluate something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Agree. I can't answer the question why did you choose Mark this time? No. You can, but I can't. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> or a god. Why we're gonna look at Matthew next time. Yeah, I can't answer that question, but but we can answer what does Mark and Matthew have to say, and how does that relate to us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's the problem. I when you when you do the why, we can go all directions. Yeah, I mean, I think we can. But I think that there's also some insight from Scripture that helps us understand why, too, on some things. Right? Why did Jesus do these things? Why did he say it this way? Yeah. So yeah, I mean. And yeah. if you never ask why, can you really understand? I mean, it would be like someone just reading something. Well, we can ask why 